All right. Well, you're going to be turning your Bibles to 1 John. 1 John, just go to the back toward Revelation, and that's where you'll find that book, and that's where we've been for the last, uh, this last three weeks. This will be our fourth week in a series, and I said uh, that we don't know how long it's going to take us. Uh, as long as it takes us, we'll know we're done when we finish the book. Uh, so let's uh, pause and pray, and uh, each Sunday we want to make it very clear that the only way that we gain any understanding out of the Scripture is that the Holy Spirit enlightens us. Can we get an amen out of that? There's no way that you and I can understand what God's Word says except God really reveals those things to us. And so we as a church always want to humble ourselves before the Lord, recognizing that He is the one who teaches us. And if you gain anything, it is not because of your pastor. It is certainly because of God's Word and because of the Scriptures and because of the Spirit. So let's pray together and ask His blessing on this time together, shall we? Father, we thank you for being such a gracious God. Lord, we thank you, just as we have heard some, that it's the blood. It's the blood of Christ. Lord, we thank you that you are merciful to us. Lord, that your word declares to us that your mercies are new every morning. Lord, I'm so thankful myself that you do not treat me as my sin deserves. But God, that you are compassionate and you are merciful. So, Father, as we walk through your word today, Lord, we would pray this, that we would be low and that you would be lifted high, that your name would be exalted, that you would be glorified, because you and you alone, O oh God, deserve glory. And with that, Father, we just commit this service to you and ask your holy blessing on it. And the church said... All right, so we are in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Uh, it's where we'll be taking our text from this morning. Let me, let me just kind of begin with this uh, before we get into the scripture, just by way of introduction. Um, how many of you have heard this old saying, and I'll even let you finish it, I bet you can. Uh, the only thing that you can be sure of in this world is death and taxes, right? That, that's something that we have heard over and over and over. The only thing that you can be sure of in this world is death and taxes, but I am happy this morning to report to you that there is something uh, that we can also be sure of that is a far, far more value uh, than worrying about death and taxes, and it is a blessed assurance. And as a matter of fact, that is the title of the message this morning, Blessed Assurance. And, and so with that in mind, we would also under, you know, kind of remember this hymn uh, that declares this, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Now, I debated on whether I would sing that to you, uh, but I, I determined that that probably would not be the best bet. As a matter of fact, I know in taping now, uh, Jay said that it kind of covers me the whole time, uh, even when we're singing, and I said, man, make sure you can cut that stuff out because we don't want to frighten anybody away. Now, that old hymn, though, expresses a joy uh, that um, is found in the promise that you can be sure that you know that you're saved. 
that you can be sure that you know that you have eternal life. That is what was so great about that. That is what the hymnist was saying when he wrote that out. He is saying, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. What a foretaste of glory divine. There's going to be a day, in other words, that listen, we, we kind of experience it at times of being with the Lord and just understanding that joy that we have with him. But there is coming a time, listen, that we will be face to face with him and that joy will be unbroken. That old hymn, again, it just expresses that joy that is found there. This is what it is saying. You can know for sure that you have eternal life. Amen. Now, so when that day comes, you're not going to be worried about paying your taxes. You're not going to be worried about death because the Bible says that the sting of death is gone and the fear of the grave is gone because of him. Amen? So John wrote in 1 John 5, 13. You don't have to turn there right now. I'll just read it to you. But he wrote all of this book for the express purpose that you and I as believers and followers of Jesus Christ would know this, that we can know. Listen to what John says in 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may, listen, know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, there are a great many religions out there that would say you can have no assurance that you are saved. As a matter of fact, there are some Catholic friends of mine who are saying there is, there is no way that you can know that you're actually saved. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons that the whole concept came up of putting money out is to buy your way out of purgatory. And now it is to pray somebody who may be out of purgatory because there's the uncertainty of whether that person has actually entered into heaven. But I want to tell you this morning, God's word declares to you, if you're a follower of Christ, you can be assured that you have eternal life. All right? So just with that is the backdrop this morning. John makes it clear. And the way that he does that is he writes out some very clear objective standards to determine whether you and I are indeed in fellowship with Christ. It's not subjective. It is objective. This morning we will look at three areas that John highlights that assure us that we have and can have a blessed assurance. And here they are for you guys that take notes. An assurance defined. An assurance defined. An assurance characterized. And an assurance lived out. Let me give those to you again. An assurance defined an assurance characterized, and an assurance lived out. All right, so with that in mind, let's uh, open, just turn your Bibles, if you're not already there, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. And we're going to read down through verse 6, and then we'll kind of come back and unpack all of those things that we find in there, all right? 1 John chapter uh, 2, uh, verses 3 through 6. John writes, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his, his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him, ought him also, ought himself also, so to walk, 
even as he walked. So here's what's going on. Verse 3, when we look at that, is a question that comes up. Here's the question that John began to see that was going to be asked of those that uh, he is writing to. And, and is this, how do I know that I know him? How do I know that I know him? John could anticipate that there was going to be this question that, that came, those questions that we get from last week's messages. How do I know that Jesus Christ is my advocate? And you will remember that we talked about Jesus Christ being our advocate. He is that one who is our lawyer in a sense. He is he, uh, that attorney that stands to represent us before God the Father. We found that in the first few verses closing out in, in, our, in the first two verses uh, of chapter 2. And so he is our advocate. And, and you will remember as we discovered about him being our advocate, he does not come to us before the Father and say, hey, listen, my client is innocent. Uh, uh, judge, my client, you just don't understand the circumstances that he has lived in his life. No, Jesus Christ comes as our advocate before the Father, who is that holy judge, and he says this, my client is guilty of everything that is charged. You grab that? Listen, until, uh, until a person understands that they must take accountability for their sin, understanding that they have sinned against a holy God, and there must be payment for that sin, and that payment is Jesus Christ, because he says that not only is he an advocate for us, but he says that he is the propitiation for our sins, and the propitiation is simply this. It is the satisfaction of our sin. You see, the cost of sin, as we know, is this, is it is death. And not only a physical death, but it is an eternal death. A person who does not know Jesus Christ will stand separated and in damnation for all of eternity. And I know, dear saints, that that is not something that the majority of the world likes to hear today. Because it is evident when you go and you can see uh, on huge places of 20, 30,000 people with a smiling preacher that says this, you're a good person. The Bible says just the opposite. Amen. The Bible says this, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who seeks after God. You see, the only seeker in this thing is Jesus Christ. He is the one who seeks us, not us seeking him. How do I know that he is that propitiation for me? How do I know that his blood is constantly cleansing me of my sin? John knew that would be the question in the back of everybody's mind. And so he sets out a standard for us to hold ourselves up against to and say, this is how I know that I belong to him. As a matter of fact, when you look at that verse and it says, and hereby we do know that we know him. In other words, what he is simply saying there is saying, look, here's how you can know if you are really saved. Here is how you can know if you really have a relationship with God. He says, by this, and he's fixing to spell out what by this means. By these things, you can know that you have had a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we'll get into it a little bit further about when the person fails that test and how that, what all that means. But it, what happens, what he's saying is, here it is. It is based on a past experience that has present results. 
What does that mean for me? Let me just tell you what it means for me. It means that back in 1976, when Jim Jones came to the place in his life that he knew that he was a sinner against a holy God, and he cried out for God's mercy and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, that God forgave him. Now, that also means this, the evidence of that, of me knowing that, is what we're going to discover later on. And the evidence of that is that I've been walking with him for 44 years. That's the evidence, and we'll talk in depth what that is about today, because that is what John is saying. But what does it mean? What does it mean that we know him? Well, we've already learned that we're going to still sin as a Christian. Everybody say amen. amen. Right? You understand that? that? That there's not a sinless Christian out there. As a matter of fact, John says, listen, he says, if I, have no if I say I have no sin, I deceive myself and make God a liar. Right? And, and, but we also understand that he wrote, and he says, but I'm writing these things that you sin not. So what is he saying? He says, listen, I, I know that you're going to sin, but if you do, remember, we got this advocate, right? That's the good news for a Christian. Aren't you glad this morning that we have an advocate in heaven right now that makes intercession for you and me, Amen. right? So he says, listen, you're going to sin. We know that. It is, but this is the thing. It is to be the exception to the rule for the believer, John has already instructed his readers when he wrote that to him so that they would know how to deal with sin. But the answer to saying, how do we know? How do we know that we know him is found in this verse that it says, and hereby we do know that we know him, check it out, if we keep his commandments. If you want to know if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, it is found simply in this. Do you keep his commandments? Pretty, pretty clear, pretty objective. Not something that's fuzzy. It's not, well, I think so, maybe so. It says, no, if you want to know that you know him, as a matter of fact, what he's saying, if you want to know that you had a real salvation experience when you said yes to him, he says, here's how it is done. You keep his commandments. But that begs the question for us next. What does it mean to keep his commandments? I love my time of study when I'm able to get alone with the Lord and just get in and, and break out the word and see what it says. Because, listen, you, you know this. And for those of you who are visiting here today, I want you to understand this. I don't get everything out of this book. I don't understand everything out of this book. I'm learning just like you're learning out of this book. God is taking me through a process of growth just like he's taking, taking you through a growth of growth. Uh, process of growth, right? So that's why I love it. That is what the fellowship is when I get in the word and I'm in fellowship with him. But look, when it says that we are to keep his commandments, what does that mean? To keep his commandments means this, to carefully guard his word, to cherish his word, to love his word. That's what it means to keep his commandments, to guard them, to cherish them, to long for them. That, that is why when we win somebody to Christ, one of the first things that we want to teach them according to the scripture in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20 is this. It says that we are to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, right? Matthew chapter 20 and 28. We are to teach a new believer. Listen, if you're going to follow Christ, here's how you're going to have to follow Christ. You're going to have to follow Christ by knowing what Christ 
says. Now this side's awake over here. Let me try this side. You're going to have to follow Christ by following his commands. Right? It, 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 I've told you many, many times, the Holy Spirit doesn't come in with a little bit of wiffle dust at night and holy dust and sprinkle over you when you're sleeping and you wake up in the morning and go, ah, I'm holy. No, he comes in and it's through this, it's through the study of the word and he enlightens our heart and our mind as we study the word and understand the word and then we are able to understand what it is to follow him. He says this, listen, we need to follow him. Do you want to know how you know that you know him? You keep his commandments. You cherish his commandments. Now, if you're honest, like I've had to be honest, there have been times in my life that I haven't cherished God's word as I should. Can I get a north-south? There have been those times in my life when I have not studied God's word as I should. But there has never been a time that I did not know how important that word was. And that if I wasn't doing that, it was because I was in willful rebellion against him. And again, I go back to this. Aren't you glad that we have an advocate with the Father? You see, sometimes I think that there is a very low view of who God Almighty is. I believe the church today has a very, very low, I'm not talking about Westside, I hope Westside doesn't. I, I, I think that there is a very low view of how holy God is. Because if we understood how holy he is, there would probably be just a wee bit more fear of that God. Amen. And I know today it's not popular to say, hey, we should fear God. Listen, I fear God. Amen. I fear him. I love him. And I know he loves me, and we'll talk about that. The only reason I'm able to love him is because he first loved me. But listen, here it is. Loving his word, cherishing his word, guarding his word. It really should entail a holy fear of not treasuring the commandments. Let me, let me just read something to you that I was studying this week that one writer wrote, and I thought it was very appropriate to understand how you and I should guard that word, what it means. The word does not merely speak of the act of obeying his commands, but of a solicitous desire that we would not disobey them, but on the other hand, that we obey them perfectly. It is that holy fear of disobeying God as expressed by the word phobos, where we get the word phobia, used in 1 Peter. Here's what it says. This Wardlaw makes this observation. He says, this fear is self-distrust. It is tenderness of conscience. It is vigilance against temptation. It is the fear which inspires. Uh, which inspiration opposes to high-mindedness in the admonition, be not high-minded, but fear. It is taking heed lest we fall. It is a constant apprehension of the deceitfulness of the heart and of the insidiousness of the power of inward corruption. It is the caution and circumspection which timidly shrinks from whatever would offend and dishonor God and our Savior. It is the saint's love for God's word and his guardianship 
of that word, lest it be dishonored. Do you grab the gravity of that statement? That God says, listen, here's how you know that you know me. Do you cherish my word? Do you hold it close? Now, saints, listen, all of us are not there, right? Nor will we ever reach that absolute perfect place. But it should be a constant movement towards the goal that John speaks of here. That we love his word. We obey his word. We do his word. There is a fear of not doing it. Can I just say that one of the big pastors in one of the mega churches, I think I said this a few weeks ago, I think well over a month ago, that this guy has been now accused of and evidently true, that he had had several encounters, extramarital encounters, while as a pastor. Can I tell you that probably one of the reasons that that happens is because there is not a careful guarding of the word of God. And can I solicit this from you? Would you be faithful to pray for your pastor? Be faithful. I never want to slip. I never want to fall. I want to be faithful to the end. So, when he talks about holding the commandments, we need to understand this as well. When we're looking back at verse 2, it says, holding on to his commandments. It is, means this. He's not talking about the Mosaic law here. What is he is talking about are the commandments, are the teachings that Jesus Christ gave himself or the teachings of the apostles. Now, that is not to negate what the Old Testament teaches in any way because the word is the word, right? Everybody say amen to that. Shake your head north, south, right? The word is the word, God's word, all right? But what we're talking about here, it, it, there is a danger sometimes that we can become accidental Pharisees. You hear me? That we can become accidental Pharisees. In other words, we put on the exterior things and we try to put on law upon law upon law and obeying those. Listen, there is no way you and I could fulfill the law because that is the purpose that Jesus Christ came. Right? So be careful of that. But how do we keep these commandments? How do we keep the precepts? How do we guard those things uh, that we have uh, that Christ has called us to do? Well, number one, you must know them. Now, again, going back to Matthew 28 and 20, says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Listen, you can't know what Jesus said if you don't know what Jesus said. In other words, you can't understand or follow Christ unless you take up the book and read the book and understand the book. Can I say this morning, saints at Westside, uh, West listen, you cannot get enough on a Sunday morning to get by through the week and follow these precepts correctly. Amen. It's impossible. I got 35, 40 minutes, right? That's it. Some of you are going, really, 40 minutes? That's a little wee bit extreme. But this amount of time, you come to Sunday school, so maybe you got two hours worth in. That is not going to do. That is not holding. That is not cherishing. That is not guarding the commands of Christ. And believe me, when we stand before the Lord one day, and, and he's going to say, you know, you know, what's up? <laughs> what's up with that? Well, I didn't have time, Lord. Really? Didn't have time? 
Didn't care that much for my word, huh? Hmm. We must know them. Listen, listen to this scripture. You don't have to turn there, but I, I would encourage you to read through this book of the Bible. Psalm 119. We're not going to cover that because it's the longest book in the Bible. <laughs> so we're not going to read that entire thing this morning, but I want to read just a couple of things, a couple of verses out of here. So that we think about, you must know them, but here's what I want you to get across this. You must think on them, right? You are a reasonable people. You are an intellectual people. In other words, we are to use our minds and engage our minds when we engage the scriptures. It is not some mindless event. God gave us a mind. We need to use it. Listen to this, Psalm 119.9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Listen. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wonder from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord. Teach me thy statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in a way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Can you just hear the psalmist cry that out? Can you see his love that he has for the commandments of God? And he says, Lord, this is my heart's desire that I follow after it. You see, you must think on them. Philippians 2.5 says this, let this mind be in you, which also is in Christ Jesus. You must think on these things. Going back again, and for the young men, old men, young women, young women, how do you want to have a clean way? He says, verse 9, take heed according to thy word. In other words, think about them and do them. You must love the law. Psalm 119, 97 says, oh, how I love thy law. Have you ever thought about that? Is that something that, that just, you know, gets you a little bit excited? That we read through it? And you say, well, you're, you're a pastor. Hey, listen, I, I, I say this often. I'm one of you. Can I get an amen? There's not this elevated position that I'm in. I'm one of you. That's why Paul says, listen, Paul, Paul said it this way. He says, I'm compelled to preach. You know what that meant? He really said, I'd rather, if there was something else I would do, I would do it. Now, I will say this. There have been many things that I have done in my life. But I love his law. And I have loved it because it brings life. But not only that, you must do them. For lack of time this morning, we won't read each of them, but James 1.22 says this, that, listen, you need to be doers of the word, not just hearers. Don't walk out today. Don't leave here today and dismiss everything God's word says. Don't, don't do that. 
That's what the scripture is saying. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. You study the word of God. You meditate on the word of God. You dwell on the word of God. That's what it means to cherish it. This is what I'm saying. How do you want to hold dear these things? Listen, know what they say. Read them, meditate, think on them, and then you must do what they say. That's what it means to cherish it. That's what it means. Listen, don't miss the theme of today's message. How do I know that I'm a follower of Christ? Do you read? Do you study? Do you, more importantly, do what God says? That's the objective test. This is too important to miss, saints. How many people are walking in life thinking that they have a relationship with God and they're lost as, a, as last year's Easter egg? Right? It's okay. We can have a little humor. It's okay. Now, if you don't know how lost last year's Easter egg, that's really lost. Right? I think I found one in my yard last year. Let's move on to assurance characterized. Second point, assurance characterized. These will go quicker. I know that, that first one was a long one. But assurance characterized. Look at, um, back to 1 John, verse 4 and 5 is where we'll read, and then we'll kind of unpack these two verses. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Here is assurance characterized. First of all, under that, you might just write this little thing, the test failed. The test failed. You see, again, we're going through, John is saying, look, here's a series of tests. If you haven't caught the theme going through, uh, John just gives, hey, listen, if you want to know if you're a Christian, look at this. If you want to know if you're not a Christian, look at this. And he kind of keeps expanding those tests over and over. And that's what we have going on here. But look at the test failed. It says in verse 4, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth his commandments, or keepeth not his commandments. Listen, what does it say there? He is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Those are strong words, aren't they? But I don't think that John was necessarily just coming out of, out of a, a, an anger. He was, he was really concerned about those who would say, listen, I know him, and yet they have no evidence in their life that they really do know him. And he's trying to get them to understand, listen, you are not being truthful, right? And he uses strong language. He says, you're a liar. That's strong, but that's God's word. That's not Jim's word. That's God's word. And he, he characterizes that way. It's just the opposite of everything that we have been talking about, i.e., keeping his commandments. And again, what does keeping his commandments mean? It means that you cherish them. You want to guard them. You want to do them. Listen, if, if a person is out there and they say, look, I've got a relationship with God. I have a relationship with God, but I don't care a thing about his word. I could care less about reading it. I could care less even more about doing it. The Bible makes it clear that person is a liar. What is he lying? What is he lying about? He's lying about a relationship that he has. It, it, we learned earlier as we studied through this, it is called self-deception. 
Because there are a great many people that believe this. Can I say? And this, this is for anybody. Because I, I can't see anybody's heart out there. I, I don't know. But I know this, God knows. But I will tell you this. That if you think you have a relationship because you said a prayer one time and there's no evidence in your life that you've lived anything but your own way, the Bible says you're a liar. If you think that you signed a card one day at church and filled it out and said, I want to join the church, and you think that just because you signed a card and joined the church and yet there is no desire to keep his commandments, the Bible says you're a liar. If you think that you've been baptized, maybe even in this church, and that you were baptized and put under the water and came out uh, by a pastor or a deacon or whoever, and you say that, well, I was baptized, but you have no desire to follow after Christ, the Bible says you're a liar. And he follows on and he says this, the truth is not in you. You know what the truth is? Jesus Christ said this, I am the way, I am what? The truth. You grab that? You see the significance of that? He says, if there's not that desire, if there is not that willingness, if there is not at least a speck, an inkling of following after Christ, he says, if you're not going to obey, you don't want to obey, you don't want to follow after me, don't say you have fellowship with me because you don't. These are tough words, aren't they? Now check it out. I am dangerously close to 63 years old. Dangerously close. And some of y'all are looking and saying, he's a spring chicken. <laughs> but I don't know if I'll have 64. I don't know if I'll have beyond this afternoon. And my responsibility as your pastor and as a preacher of the word of God is to speak the truth. But I'm telling you, I'm speaking the truth and love this morning. First of all, a love for God, a love for his word, but more than that, a love for you. Don't deceive yourself if you're here this morning. They failed the test. All the things I've talked about, there's nothing wrong with that. We want a person to be baptized, absolutely. It's, it's an evidence, right? It's an evidence that you belong to him. It's a public testimony that you're saying, I identify with him. We want you to be a member of church. We want all those things. We want you to pray. But those are not the things that save you. You hear me? Those are not the things that save you. Here's the character. Second point under assurance characterized. First is test failed. Here's the next one. The character of assurance is the love of God perfected in him. When John writes this, he is saying that when we keep his word, there is a love that is evident in the believer. It's, it's almost like when, when, we, when we have this love for the Lord, it is that self-evident thing that becomes true in our lives that there is a love that is in us. Look at verse 5. It says, But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. 
It is a love that only God can produce in a person's life. Let me, let me just pause there for a minute. You and I do not have the capability in and of ourselves to love people the way that we should. Amen? It's impossible. As a matter of fact, we'll, we'll study this next week. Because the Bible says this, if you say that you love God and yet hate your brother, again, guess what he calls you? A liar. You see, it's only God that can produce that love. That's what he says. Listen, how do you know? It's because that love is perfected in us. It is the love that God gives us. It is a love that transforms us. It is a love that we have for our fellow man, but it is also a love for God. Listen, if you don't have a love for God, and I will say this, a love for the God should be synonymous with a love for his word. And if there is not that love there, that is good reason to question, where am I at? Where am I at? Because God says, listen, he would put a love in our hearts. I don't have the capability of doing that, nor do you. How am I able to love you? You remember when I first came here? I, I did not want to be your pastor. You remember that? Some of y'all remember that. I was saying, nope, not interested. But little by little, God changed my heart. Wasn't, wasn't you that changed my heart. Now, it was easy to fall in love with you as a congregation. But God was the one that began to change my heart. And I love you. I love being the pastor of this church. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who assigned me here. You see, God is the one who perfects that love in us. It, it is not because we're recognized by our own character traits of this love. It is the character of God, which the very character of God is love. Everybody look up here. God loves you. You hear me? God loves you. But I won't say God loves you just as you are. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God loved you so much that despite who you are, he sent his son to die for you. You see the difference in that? Jim Jones was a murderer. Jim Jones was an adulterer. Jim Jones was a liar. You say, you did all those things? If I didn't do them physically, I did them here. And so did you. Can I get an amen? Jesus said, it's the issue of the heart. He judges us by a whole different standard, but he perfects his love in us. Listen, love is something that grows, should. And that's my lovely bride right there on the front, 37 years of marriage. My love just continues to grow. That's the way it is with God. Our love grows. It should. That's the evidence that we belong to him. That is the character that is in the life of a true believer is love. Love for God, love for his people. As a matter of fact, we'll, we'll discover next week, Jesus said it this way, right? There's two, two, two laws that you just need to be concerned about. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Isn't it, isn't it great the way that the Lord just puts all that down into one little thing? Love him. Love people. And that's the character of a, of a true follower of Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you what. There's some people I get irritated with, right? Especially the ones that were shooting at me when I was in Afghanistan. I really got irritated with them. But I'm going to tell you this. God changes our lives, and it's a character. Finally, let's close with this. Assurance is lived out. Assurance is lived out. Verse 6. He that saith he abideth in him, ought him also, ought himself also, so to walk even as he walked. What does that mean? Well, we can be assured that we are saved. We can be sure that we have uh, salvation, eternal life, when we live out what we say. Now, by no means does this mean, you understand this, right? Every one of us in here understands that works do not, cannot, ever will save a person, Amen. right? But it is the evidence that you have actually been saved, that there are works. Abiding in him is what he says there. This means simply that he is to live in us and we are to live in him. It is the idea that the one who lives in a home, that abiding, I abide out on Roy Webb Road. That's where I live. That's the idea behind it. Are you living in Christ, and is he living in you? Is he abiding in you? As a matter of fact, John 15, 5 says this, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, the idea is, is that if there is anything, see, this is the proof. If you are walking as Christ walked, if you are following after his commandments, it is the proof that Christ is literally living through you and that you have fellowship with him. Isn't that a great thought? I can't do this in myself. I wouldn't want to do it. That's the, that's the natural man. I don't, I don't want to do those things. They're contrary to the flesh. But he says, if you say you abide in me, if you say you live in me, walk as I walked. In other words, do what I did. That's a pretty clear, objective test that we subject ourselves to. Do I love his word? Do I guard it? Do I keep it? Do I cherish it? Is the love of God seen in my life? If people were to say, can you characterize that person's life? What would they say? Years and years ago, there was a friend of mine that I was on a special forces team with, and he was our senior medic. And uh, it was a, boy, it was a rough team. I mean, a rough team. Rough team to be a Christian on. 
And, and I remember uh, this brother, and I call him brother because he got saved. And, and he told me, he says, does it ever bother you what we do? And I said, all the time, all the time. And I remember talking to him and I said, hey, Al, I said, if I get smoked, <laughs> euphemism for getting killed, if I get killed, you know, when we're out doing our stuff, I said, when you guys stand in my grave, I want you to remember this. And I remember this, I remember this clearly telling him, Jim loved God. That's it. You see, nothing else really matters. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to God that he saved me. I could never repay him, but I want to live for him out of gratitude for what he has done for me. I hope that's the case with you. Because there is a blessed assurance that we can walk out of here knowing that we have eternal life. I'm going to tell you what, folks. I look forward. I don't, I don't fear death. Now, now understand, I've, I've been afraid of dying. And, and if, if you were to walk up and, and stick a pistol in my head, I'm sure there, I'm, there's some fear. But what I'm talking about is I don't fear what's going to happen after that. That was settled long ago. As we're in the habit of doing... You just close your eyes and bow your heads before the Lord. It's a time of reflection. It's a time to think through what God said in his word this morning. It's a time for decisions. But here's the thing I want you to get. The decision doesn't have to mean that you come up and kneel at an altar. The, the decision is going to really be made right where you're at. And that decision then is going to be really determined in truth by what you do after that decision. If you're not a follower of Christ, today is the day to do that. The Bible says, behold, today is the day of salvation. If you're not sure how to get that done, <laughs> come see me. I'll sit down with the Bible and we'll explain it. Maybe you're a Christian and you've just been walking that guilty distance. Maybe this morning you would confess in your heart, Lord, I have not cherished your word as I ought. Just go back to two weeks ago in our sermon. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us, forgive us and cleanse us from all our sins. Just a moment to pray and think.